Hello and welcome to the Manage Self Lead Others podcast, mainly for experienced and aspiring people managers. I'm your host, Nina Sunday, and this is the show to help you explore ways to become the best version of yourself at work as a manager. Each episode, you hear from some of the brightest business minds on the planet who share your passion to elevate and transform team culture. They share insights in self-leadership and leading others. Together, we can make workplace culture better. Are you ready? Because it's time to manage self, lead others. My guest today is Tony Eads, who is Chief Strategy Officer at Salted Stone and Leading Advisor of Inbound Marketing Strategy in Australia. With 25 years of business experience, in-depth knowledge of branding, marketing trends and technology here and in the US, and with multiple media appearances and keynote addresses, Tony is a highly sought-after marketing expert from SME to corporate brand strategy. Welcome, Tony Eads. And it's a true pleasure to have the pleasure of your company after we worked so closely together with you as National President of Professional Speakers Australia that first year of COVID-2020. It's a pleasure to talk to you, Nina, as always. I, I, um, and I really welcome being on, on your podcast today. But uh, yeah, no, definitely. We, we, we had a, an exciting year together <laughs> that first year when I took over as presidency. It was the start to sort of we came out of convention and it was uh, the terrible times of the pandemic that, that really hit our industry. But, uh, you know, I, a big thanks to you because I, I needed someone that I could bounce ideas with because we had to move fast. And I think within, the, within a month, we had our first national event up. And, um, and even today, people are saying it was uh, it was critical to help them through the tough times that we uh, we went virtual. And it was it was so fortunate that I'd been to a couple of national speakers conventions, 2018, 2019. So I was really up to speed with who are the speakers that the Australians would really uh, get value from. Thanks yeah. for being part of it today. And uh, let's start with the first question. Pleasure. Let's do it. How is sales different today than it was pre-COVID? We've become more humanized, so we need context when we're talking to people so we can actually connect more with them. People today, I believe, in, in our current world, are not buying your product or service. They're buying you and they're buying a relationship. Absolutely. And, of course, uh, mid-last year, uh, HubSpot, who I know is a CRM I rather like what the statistics and the research that they come out with. And uh, uh, here are the, the, this is one point, dot point that they made, which is the top ways to create a positive sales experience. They've got four points. Listen to their needs. Yeah. Don't be pushy. 61% said that. Provide relevant information, 61%, and respond in a timely manner. manner 51% said that. So does that sort of frame a little of what, you're wanting to communicate? Yeah, a hundred percent. Because I think you know HubSpot, you know, often bring out these stats, and and they're really good because they're always up to date. You know, they're based on a lot of uh, survey results and things like that. But listen to the needs. I mean, that goes back to what I was just saying before about knowing context. You know, if you you can't really frame a, or build a relationship um, or start to get someone really connected with you on a on a first time call unless you're really interested in what they are and understanding what their needs are. I think the pushiness is 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 the biggest thing people should take away around marketing there's also inbound sales 
And the, the difference between inbound and outbound is inbound is you're nurturing people to come to you to request your services or your product or they, they have a need of some kind. Outbound is you don't know what that need is. You know you've got a service you want to sell them, but you don't know if they need that service. So in the outbound call, you've got to do a lot of conversation and discovery before you even sort of say, well, do you need a new website? Because in conversation, it might not be the website they need. They might need a whole bunch of other stuff that you can help. So um, HubSpot said that 80% of sales require five follow-up calls, whereas 44% of salespeople give up after one follow-up call. Ding, ding. <laughs> and, and again, it's so true. Like I, um, I, one, one step before that, because I know you love your stats, but Harvard's Business Review also said that 78% of new business, right, this is the, the inbound coming in, 78% of new business goes to the first respondent. So at Sorted Zone, for example, I've got this five-minute rule across our organisation. If an inquiry comes in, Get back within five minutes. I and fall over it. myself <laughs> <laughs> to be to to be as timely as I can. And if for some reason I've missed it or I'm late with it, I I, I slap my own hand. Yeah. I fire myself. <laughs> you should do, <laughs> but it, but it's so important because you think about that lost business because you know people if they do come to you and in, in an inbound sort of way, there's a need right now and enough that they found you and they want to talk to you. To your earlier point though about follow ups. Again, that's so important. It doesn't have to be follow-up phone calls. There's many ways people communicate. So it could be an email. You know, if you know the person well, it could just be a quick SMS or all of these other channels. I mean, I'm communicating across, you know, Messenger and uh, all sorts of things now. But but just think about, you know, the follow-up. Um, and that follow-up can just be adding more context. Like you can add something more to the conversation. So it's not just, a uh, you know, so many follow-ups of, did you get my proposal? Are you going to sign my proposal? It could just be, you know, enjoyed our conversation. I also found this, which might be of interest to you. So you're adding relationship, adding value to the conversation. So they also found this. Is this something you might do after the initial discovery call and proposal as a, as a way to stay in touch? Is that what you're suggesting? No, I'm actually suggesting this before you do the proposal. Oh, this is before oh. you get to the sale. So, again, if I put it in a process perspective, um, HubSpot works, and, we, and we've, I've followed this methodology and it works really well, is that you have at least, you know, four key areas of, and they can have touch points in between. The first one is your intro call, and that's all about discovery. It's more listening, not speaking. It's more, you know, tell us about your problems, what's going on, almost like a psychologist on the couch type yeah, of thing. The absolutely. second Second stage is what we call exploratory, and that's when you book another. So at the end of the first call, you book the next call with them so that you don't leave them hanging. The next call is you've gone away and done a bit of research about their, you know, what you've discovered in the first section. You come back now and explore some ideas. We could do this. Have you thought about this? How about this? Then it's advisory, which is the third call, and this is where you come back with your pitch. You know, based on what we've spoken about, this is how I think we can help. So the pitch is done verbally. It's not sent as a proposal or action plan or anything yeah. like that. Well, I, that's what I think and suggest 100% people need to do nowadays because it keeps the conversation going. And the other thing is you can you can see the body language. You can, you can hear how they react to your proposal. So my advisory call is normally done as a presentation, like a, a PowerPoint, not an official proposal. And it'll take them through the solution we're going to do. And at the end, there's a slide that sort of has some indicative costs just to gauge, you know, how they're feeling. And then from there, you go the final proposal. Oh, well, that's very interesting. So I think a lot of people just uh, get the inquiry and just, you know, send send the proposal with the with the the pricing 
Yeah. And you're suggesting that there are some extra steps involved. And what's the next step after that? So the next step after that is, is so once you've had the advisory call, you then send the proposal. Yes. Um, and then you should have a fourth final meeting, and that's to discuss you know, if they haven't signed the proposal, they might sign the proposal so you don't need that, that fourth stage. The fourth stage will then be a kickoff meeting, which is like you've signed the proposal, now let's uh, let's get things moving. So first up, we're going to do this. So it just keeps that relationship flowing and there's no breaks. That's the, well, that's the critical thing. I can imagine that with these steps in a big price uh, sale, mm. I don't know, what, what's the proper term for that? High price ticket, high ticket item. High ticket item, yeah. Like yeah. They're buying a submarine. <laughs> <laughs> but from where? From where? France, France or uh, America? <laughs> but quite frankly, I'm flat out with in my business, which is training, getting mm. people to have the initial phone call with me. They say, you know, I just want a price. It's like, well, I won't do that. I don't say that, but I won't do that. But uh, it's it's an interesting one, and 100 percent I agree with you. But you can you can streamline the exploratory and the advisory, wow. but you should definitely always do the intro. And, and all I say to people, no matter how small the engagement is or how simple you think the engagement is, slow down the sales process because it shows you care and it shows that you're really interested. You're building that critical relationship. Whereas otherwise, if all you do is take the call, send them a quote, it's transactional. You've not built any. Yeah. You're absolutely right. I know um, Simon Reynolds, who uh, is has, was on an earlier podcast episode of ours, I've attended a few of his uh, boot camps over the years, and he talked about, I, I use the acronym OTIP, own the indecision period. And he would say that you must, as you say, send follow-up, here's some extra information you might want. So stay in touch that way. Yeah, um, yeah so... So that way, even if it has been a transactional proposal or action plan, you're finding another reason to stay in contact with them. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And, and also, even if you send them the, the proposal, they're going to have questions, right? They're, they might have concerns over the price if, if you haven't discussed it. I always actually in the intro call, which a lot of people is it, it, the sort of the, the the decisions out on whether people do this or not. I find I, I it may take, makes a lot of sense to do it in the intro call is to get some indication of budget. You know, it not right up front, but during that it's kind of like, well, you know, just out of interest, do you have a particular budget or framework that I need to be thinking about? Because that makes it so much easier if they say I've got 10 grand or I've got 20 grand for you to run this workshop for me or whatever it might be. You're not going to come back with a hundred thousand dollar twelve month program. What percentage of people will say, "Oh no, my boss just wanted me to get information"? Well, well, I don't know. I don't know that they've got a budget. Well, I've got I've got an answer for that one too, Nina. I think not. It's more that they say, "I don't have a budget. I've no idea of what I, don't, I have no budget." So then you start throwing numbers. You start saying, "Okay, well, generally this thing could cost twenty thousand dollars." Oh, well, I don't have that much. And you go, "Well, you do have a budget." <laughs> oh, that's very interesting. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah I, I usually sort of test the water as well with a bit of a, you know, uh, pin the tail on the donkey sort of uh, yeah. uh, thing. And I think the easy way to do it, I know folks do get a bit um, hung up with talking about price or asking for budget, but I always find it's good if you talk about budget as in with other clients or recently we did something similar and it was around this sort of price because then you're not putting the pressure on them or on yourself 
to say, well, that engagement sounds like it's 10 grand. You can say, well, I did one of these similar. So you're adding a bit of trustworthiness to the call and it cost around 10 to 15,000. Is that kind of what you're thinking? You are a mine of good tips, Tony. I I should have interviewed you much sooner. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here's, a, here's an interesting sales follow-up statistic from this HubSpot blog. 60% of customers say no four times before saying yes, whereas 48% of salespeople never even make a single follow-up attempt. I know, that's scary. That's scary. The second part's the scariest bit, isn't it? That it's it's... People are just looking at numbers. It's kind of like like some of the biggest deals that I've won have been because of perseverance, and I think you probably have as well. Like, Can I around. tell you, one of the biggest clients I ended up having was with a CEO who was always on a plane somewhere. In fact, uh, we're going back a few decades now, but he was, he was um, Qantas he flew with. He was touted as the most flown CEO in Australia. So I mm. won't say who it is. But eventually, and I had, this was in the days before CRMs, I actually had index cards. And my envelope of index cards was getting thicker and thicker because it was all about uh, speaking to his his EA and saying, oh, no, he'll be back next week. So I try next week. Oh, no, he's gone to uh, London. Uh, He'll be back so-and-so, then try. Oh, no, he's gone to America. Uh, Mm. Eventually, like pages and pages of index cards he was. He answered the phone. He said, "I was waiting for you to call." <laughs> and then I got course after course after course in multiple cities, and I went. That perseverance really paid off. Yeah. So it was that it. was a perfect example. And 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 nowadays, I mean, it's not not just to be the the most flown CEO, but most of us are super busy. You know, we've got emails coming in, we've got all sorts of things. So one of the things that um, I think is good as well is to think about how else can I create a touch point, right? It doesn't have to be the the you know phoning the EA or trying to phone through. Even going back to the old snail mail. I mean, how often do you receive a little card in the mail saying, really looking forward to connecting with you. I know you're super busy, um, but hopefully we can talk soon. Got some great ideas I want to share with you. That's going to get through to him at some point, and then he's going to join the dots together and go, oh, that's that's uh, Nina Sunday. Didn't she leave a message for me? Hasn't she connected with me on LinkedIn? And all of a sudden, all the dots come together, and you started to build that relationship and shown interest in having a conversation well, with Well, it's interesting. I noticed that if they say yes to my request on LinkedIn, I don't do it straight away. I do that a little bit after time has elapsed and there's maybe been some sort of interaction. Yeah. And then I'll uh, do a LinkedIn request. If they say yes, I nearly always get the deal. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes, yeah. Look, sometimes some people are not LinkedIn people at all. It doesn't mean I won't get the deal. Yeah. But I. But when they say yes, it's a good, it's a buying signal basically. Yeah. So I do that, yeah. And I, and I think touching on something like LinkedIn, I think LinkedIn definitely, I, I see people, I mean, I'm not a LinkedIn expert by any means, but but to me, you can build the same rapport with people you've connected with on LinkedIn by putting good, relevant content up about what you do and what yes. you're interested in because they're going to see it. It's going to come in their feed. They might not see the first time. They might see it a few days later, but eventually they're going to start to realize that the connection they've got with you and what it's about so that when you do reach out to them they've been you know following your content oh yes and i i make a point of of giving good content and less marketing uh, on on linkedin and also on the emails that i send out mm. look there's a there's there's one statistic that i want to disagree with 
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Yep. That's it says, it, it's about did I catch you at a bad time makes you 45, 40% less likely to book a meeting while that's not the bit while asking how are you increases your likelihood of booking a meeting by 3.4 times. Now, I guess the how are you is okay if you know each other, but put it this way, I get tele, I'm on the receiving end of telemarketing calls and they'll say, hello, how are you? And I go, oh, this is a sales call. Yeah. Um, already my guard is up. They, yeah. that, they, have, they haven't even told me who they are. Yeah, but yeah. is that that's not really what that statistic is referring to, is it? Um, I think that yeah, I think the statistic uh, is is a bit isolated, right? If it's if it's going by a telemarketing call, then we're sort of starting to bridge on the cold call concept. Yes, and right? I don't do cold calls. No, no, and and I'm the same as you. If someone if someone calls up and it's I answer my mobile or or something like that. Nowadays, it's more mobile, right? Which is even yeah. more personal because they're not coming through your switchboard; they're coming straight to your personal mobile. Okay. But when they say "How are you?", I pause and then I go. Who are you? Yes. <laughs> is my answer because it's kind of like I don't know who you are, and then and then the next question is what do you want? You know, because you're already on the defensive, right? So I I always just honestly I do not make uh, unsolicited phone calls. Uh, buying databases, it's just it, we live in such a digital world now. You could find about anybody just by Google searching LinkedIn. You know, everyone's got a digital footprint of some kind, and you just got to find that context. Yeah. When you find the context, it could be that you've worked with someone similar to them or you know someone similar to them. At least you can start the conversation with, hi, and to your point, yeah, my name is like the reason for my call or why I'm calling so you're not actually, you know, putting them on the back foot. Um, I spoke to to Josh Smith the other day and um, he suggested I give you a call or something like that, like start in a conversational way. Absolutely. Now, that. That brings me to your whole point about conversational sales, conversational approach, and about embracing silence. Um, yep. Perhaps tell us a little bit more about that, please, Tony. Yeah, so the important thing, I think, is when when we actually um, call up or have a conversation with someone that we're building a rapport with, so it's all new, silence is golden. Silence is our biggest asset. Uh, because you, you, I think the problem is a lot of people are almost running off a script they're almost thinking like, you know, if there's if there's any silence on the phone, they're going to just hang up on me. Now, most people are not going to hang up on you, you know, unless, you know, and if they do, it's pointless calling them, right? They're not interested. But you start the conversation and if you ask a question, then wait for an answer because what you're trying to do is get the conversation two ways, not one way, because if all they're doing is quiet on the other end and listening to you, they're either not engaged or they just left the phone and walked away. So exactly. you really need the silence. Use silence. Two ears, one mouth. You know the old, the old story that people say you should listen twice as much as you speak, um, and then you start to build the report. So silence is golden on any call you make. And I understand you have a personal mantra: to sell is to be human. Yes. Yeah. Tell us about again, that comes back to you know just thinking about the fact that we are. You know, we've got a purpose, like we're trying to call this person uh, and we want to sell them something, right? 
but that's further down the track, right? The, we work on, uh, on the idea that there's three key stages that people go through when they are looking for a service or need something, right? There's the awareness stage, right? And the awareness stage is basically, um, I think I've got a problem. I'm not quite sure how to solve it. Um, I really should look at that, right? That's awareness. Second stage is consideration. Okay, I know I have a problem. I know I need to get it sorted. Who can solve it for me? And then there's the decision stage. Okay, I've now decided I want to work with Nina Sunday. How are you going to work with me? How are we going to solve my problem? So when you first talk to somebody, you've got to think you're at the awareness stage. You know, and at the awareness stage, it's a discovery call. It's got to be conversational. You've got to sell as a as a as a really um, in interested human being, as though you and I met at a networking event and you were telling me, oh, I'm just so under pump. I haven't got a CRM. I'm looking at five different, you know, uh, CRM packages. One guy tells me this, one person tells me that. I don't know what to do. Oh, yeah, I know the problem. I had the same situation. And, and then you start to talk and converse. That's human selling or conversational selling. That's right. That's good. Hmm. Another statistic that uh, I thought was a bit curious, at least 50% of your prospects are not a good fit for what you sell. Yeah. So that yeah. that there's a that puts a bit of onus on the um, salesperson that they have to be honest and sometimes walk away from the pitch. Yeah. I think, Nina, that the hardest thing for a salesperson to do because their primary reason for being in their role is to sell is to actually say no to a deal. But, um, you know, you and I have been around for a little while. We've we've had plenty of shock horror deals where we have said, yes, I'll do that because, you know, we're interested in the money and we don't want to say no to any sales deal. And afterwards you think, you know, you could have done two or three more better relationship engagements than that one. Well, that's um, right, because a whale can sink you. And if yes. you say yes to something that you have to do all this research to come up to par with, well, then it's, it's actually cost you money. It hasn't... Uh, as it yeah. moved you forward. Mm. 100%. And I think that goes back to our, our early conversation about the importance of the introduction call. Like if you get enough of the discovery out in the introduction call, you'll know if you've got a good, you know, beat with these the, the, the prospects. Um, and also the budget, you know, they, they might want the world. I mean, how many times I've spoken to people and they've only got, you know, a handful of change to spend on it. They've just got no concept of yeah. um, what they need versus how much they need to spend. Mm-hmm. And what's your best tip for Anybody who's who's leading salespeople, how do you, how does a people manager? I mean, they may not be a qualified or experienced sales manager, but they may have salespeople under their umbrella. How, what's the best way to sort of keep them focused on results or focused on uh, just quality communication, not a numbers game, which is the old slogan in sales. Oh, it's a numbers game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I remember, wasn't it? it? Used to be how many how many calls did you make? How many converted? How yeah, you know, it was all exact one hundred percent a numbers game. Um, so I think yeah, what what we've got to do is we've got to not be measuring, you know, uh, firstly calls and all of that kind of stuff, and reach more about how many valuable conversations have you had. Yes. Uh, because it's not a numbers game. You could have one, like your example before about that that massive client that you built. You could have one good, valuable conversation that's worth ten or twenty um, short cold calls. So the first thing is value the conversation and the relationship. Don't measure it on how many actual times did you pick up the phone and connect with someone because that's not the the measurable piece here. And I think the other thing is 
work on the fact that we live in this world of, of data, right? So a critical thing for every salesperson, in fact, every business person uh, or every manager is the power of the CRM, the custom relationship manager, right? So if you don't have that, so HubSpot has a free CRM. So there's no excuse for, oh, I don't know which one to get or how much it's going to cost. You start for free and, and everybody works off the same CRM. So you can see who's looking at your posts, who's viewing, you know, your LinkedIn messages, who's who's actually engaging on your website, because all of that kind of um, information can be tracked, you know, like almost like a big brother thing, but it just shows you which clients or prospects are engaging more with you. So they're the ones you can easily nurture to the next stage. I, I know some salespeople and some companies just let their salespeople record his, uh, client history on an Excel spreadsheet. Do no, you find that inexplicable? Never. never. <laughs> I, I find that inexplicable. That. Oh, it's good enough. What? <laughs> uh, I tell you what, look, if we if we haven't moved on from Excel spreadsheets, at least to Google um, Sheets, but but I mean they, they've all got their purpose. But yeah, I mean it's it's static, right? We don't live in a static world. Also, like where 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 do you see the history? It has to go keep going to the, further to the right, uh, off screen. And, and with a CRM, you t- tend to have a picture of the whole, the yeah. whole relationship. Sort of, it's like I feel like, I feel like I'm a, a pilot driving a plane, and I've got all these fields, and in one glance, I get a picture of where this this particular client or prospect is at. To me, if I don't have it, I feel like I'm driving blind or in the fog. Well, if you use your analogy of the of the plane, like if people are using an Excel spreadsheet, they're in an old-fashioned tiger moth where they've got to pull all the levers and check every dial, whereas you and I are on autopilot. Like the thing yeah. is flying itself because a CRM is basically putting your business on autopilot, um, especially if you go to the next stage where you start to bring in the lovely term of automation, so marketing automation and sa- even sales automation. Like yes. um, salespeople more so generally without upsetting people, generally salespeople are, are, are lazy when it comes to data entry. So that Excel spreadsheet example is probably not up to date because who, who's going to just every call type up all the details? So you need to have the power of technology to work with you and self-populate itself. So, you know, you can look at stuff rather than import data all the time. What I used to have goldmine software before I went to the cloud, um, but one of the things that was in it was the ability for the sales manager to actually see what their diff, because I had five salespeople at one point, I could actually go in and see what they were posting. I mean, is that the sort of thing that CRMs should be able to provide? Yeah, well, it goes back to your early question about, you know, what's the what's the role of the sales manager, you know, over yeah. the sales team? So the sales manager can create um, a series of dashboards about his whole team. So he can look at how they're going, who's interacting with them, um, who's opening and closing proposals. So that's the other thing you mentioned before, like send a proposal out. You know, we, we use Quilla, right, which is, a, which is a great program for creating really dynamic proposals that actually have video in them and everything. But I can see who's opened it, where they've shared it, how long they've spent looking at every section in the in the proposal. So if they spend 60% of their time on the pricing section, then I know price is going to be an issue. If they spend 60% on, on the proposal details and the services we're offering, then when I do the follow-up call, I can actually focus on the area where they spent most time because their interest was in that section. This is all the stuff that's available to us to help us 
convert There's all these apps and ap- applications and, you know, you're not pati- pushing any particular one apart from the fact that we're talking a bit about HubSpot, but I use a different CRM myself. But mm. the thing is to have one, to have yes. a CRM that has yes. client history, and this is my message to managers, if you're not capturing the information of your salesperson if and when they leave, yeah. you, you've you lost those, that all that work that they've invested in mm. in leads because you don't know what the history is or you have to go in and see what are they writing because if someone else can't decipher their their abbreviations, which happened to me once, I, I had a sales a salesperson writing in all this private, you know, code, if you like. I said, you have to write as if anybody can read it and yeah. I, I have to be able to read it. So it's yeah. not just for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, hundred percent. And the other thing is, well, not even just people leaving, but you know, we we live in a world of a pandemic where people are, are sick more than ever. You have a, a big deal on the table that one salesperson is working through, and they're sick for a week. Yeah. Um, with a CRM, someone can jump in and pick up where they've left off and continue that conversation and keep that deal alive. Uh, whereas with an Excel spreadsheet or you know locked off emails or non-existent CRMs, you can't do that with with a, you know any kind of CRM. You 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 should do what you did, like try a few of them out and play with them. Because if you're if you find the learning curve too hard, you're not going to use it, and your team won't right. use it. But the problem is once you commit to one, stick with it, you know, for a longer term because it's very hard to then change CRMs midway. You know, once you've embedded it in the DNA of your business. Um, yeah. But just, you know, so many of the CRMs nowadays are a lot easier to use, but whatever you do, don't use an Excel spreadsheet. I don't know. <laughs> At least <laughs> move on. Whoever is listening, just, <laughs> just it's not that expensive to get a decent little CRM. We're not talking no. about top of the range, that Salesforce, which is really enterprise level yeah. and yes. not cheap. But there are lots of little CRMs out there and they come and go. But, you know, just, just give it a go. And... The other thing with uh, software is get one person to trial it for 30 days nonstop and let them report back. Yeah. And that's the way you uh, you kind of invest time in, in that learning curve. Oh, so I need a CRM. They go to the first one. Oh, number one, Google, uh, only because they paid for the ad. And they download it. And they start using it. And it's kind of like, well, hang on a second. Just because Nina said get a CRM, not necessarily that one. Just in closing, Tony, and what's your favourite closing question that when the time is right, will actually move people or nudge them to the next stage? Uh, well, that's an easy one, actually. And it's uh, it's probably, if I, if I kind of do it in two ways, is at the end of every meeting, book the next meeting. Yeah. It's a simple thing, but people just sort of feel like, oh, that was a great call. And then you'll say to them, you know, and I, I sell people as well, and I'll say to them, okay, so what's the next step? Oh, well, we um, we didn't, we sort of, they're going to come back to me, you know, when they've had a think about it. Well, you don't leave anything hanging. Like the person that's in control of the process uh, and the buyer journey should be you, right? You, you're the one that should say, well, great. Now, these are the takeaways. So finish the meeting with action points. I'm going to do this. You're going to do this. Um, uh, when do you want to catch up again? And you actually grab your calendars because everybody should have an active calendar, you know, they shouldn't, or, or if they're still using the old diary, then they can go to the diary. These are the Excel spreadsheet people. Um, but you should be able to book in the thing because then you're committed to make a next step because if you don't, you've constantly got to be doing that 18 follow-ups. Well, then say they say, well, I don't know when I'm going to be looking at it and I don't know. Can you then sort of suggest, well, sh- shall we just make a time when we can do a check-in? 
Well, I, is that, let is me, that how you would approach it? Well, let me paraphrase. There's a guy, a, a classic guy, you can Google this guy uh, from HubSpot called Dan Tyre. He was like their third or fourth employee when they first started, but he is their kind of sales guru and he runs boot camp sales uh, um, kind of uh, courses. And, and I did a couple of his. And, and that was one of the questions people asked is kind of like, well, when you say um, you say Dan to these people, well, when do you want to meet up again? And um, they say, oh, well, I'm busy. Uh, could be a couple of weeks. I've got to care, you know, kids are the area. You know, they've got excuse every excuse out of the sun. He would just pause quietly, laugh, and then go, let's meet next week. How's Friday at 10? <laughs> you know, and take control. And you think that's, I mean, he is an American uh, Texan, so they are a little bit pushy. But, but there's some relevance in that because they're just making excuses because they're so busy and you can make their life simpler by just saying, this is one thing you don't have to worry about. Let's move at 10 and by then I'll have X, Y, and Z ready for you. And most of the time they say you meet with them is when you actually give them the proposal to, or, to run through it with them. Or the next stage, the exploratory or the advisory. It might not be the proposal. If it is the proposal, then straight to that. But yeah, I guess it depends on what you're selling and the cycle and, and the cycle. Uh, how big the contract is, that sort of thing. That's yeah, very interesting. Just super critical because we're all busy people, right? It, it, ourselves as well. Like the, there's nothing worse than trying to align our diaries together. I mean, we did pretty well to get this together for today. We did. <laughs> <laughs> there was a hole in my diary and a hole in your diary, so we oh. grabbed it. But that's why you've got to think like that. You've got to think about, like, keep the relationship building. And it's kind of the same way as, you know, if you go out to, to um, you know, dinner or drinks with a few friends and you have a fantastic time, you don't just say, oh, we'll do this again and let it go. You sort of say, well, yeah, let's uh, let's do this again next month. Or, you know, and you, and you try and sort of discuss the next step, the next thing. Marvellous, Tony. It's been a true joy speaking with you today. Thanks for making the time. And, uh it was great, great conversation. Thank you. You're a very wise person. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's fantastic. Nina, thanks very much. Love being on the show. Pleasure. This episode, we've been speaking with Tony Eads on the Manage Self, Lead Others podcast for experienced and aspiring people managers. I'm your host, Nina Sunday. Thank you for listening. Until next time, see you then. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.